Have you or anyone you know seen the future? Have you seen what will happen in the next couple minutes? Do you know what will happen when you pick up that picture of water? You could drop it on your foot and fall over the cat, crush it, causing the fridge to fall on your face and die. This could happen to you or your children at any moment of your life. A plane could fall out of the air and hit your house. This would have a drastic impact on the economy because you in your job at the local finance, insurance broker, whatever, uh, control a key component of our own society. Have you or someone you know been involved in lambasting a coworker over some small trivial uh, comment they made in the lunchroom? You may be entitled to compensation. Please contact us at Frivolous Gravitas Insurance today. Bam. Uh, <laughs> so we are today talking about crappy commercials. Please tell me we're talking about crappy commercials. We could talk about crappy commercials, but this was a intro to talking about uncertainty. Um, the world we live in is a very uncertain place. We think we know what we're doing. We think we have everything under control, but we don't. And that's actually okay as an individual. Um, but this leads us into what we do as a society and as individuals when we encounter uncertainty in our lives and when we handle it poorly or well. So Chris is just going to lead us today uh, on this topic. Um, and we're going to start by looking at economic uncertainty as it's seemingly the most obvious of these. Uh, economic uncertainty is happens, you know, what will the stock market do? What will I do if I don't save up for my retirement? What will I do? Oh, I need to, you know, put all my money away for this. So I'm just going to spend it because I don't know what's going to happen. And you react to uncertainty instead of reacting with logic. And usually this ends up badly uh, for everyone involved, or you simply live a dull life of meaningless safety and security, uh, for those who give up their freedoms for the benefit of their security deserve neither as, uh, the quote goes. So what is it to deal with an uncertain uh, perspective with regard to the economy. I'll lead this into you. Thanks, Jordan. So I'm Chris Driver, and welcome back to Frivolous Gravitas. Uh, Jordan Roy here, my co-host, the one and only. Today we're going to be talking about uncertainty, uh, as you precluded to, um, with with a broad regard to uh, everything that it applies to on a macroscopic le level, right down to the micros microscopic level. And I think a best way, place to start with this would be economics, because in principle, economics isn't really uh, a science, as we discussed in our previous episodes. Um, it, it's more uh, an establishment of formulae that um, distinguish relationships between, um, between separate subjects, entities, or objects, or whatever you want to call them depending on the, the abstract layer that you're, you're looking at. So uh, economic un uncertainty is often described by using um, price, uh, price changes or 
cost benefit analysis and, and things like that. Um, so most obviously you could take a look at the stock market and see act- actions like more buying will happen when people are um, in a risk on is what the, the, the jargon for the, the industry is uh, risk on being you're okay with uncertain conditions because you're pretty confident that things are going well. That's uh, generally a sign that people will be buying into the market. And when you buy into a market, um, on aggregate, more than you're selling into the market, then prices go up. Whereby, if there's a, an equilibrium or a price stability, it's because there are an equal number of buyers and sellers. Um, all other things being equal, obviously. There are external factors to all of this. But usually the external factors are what cause the uncertainty. So, for example, when the Suez Canal has a cargo conta- shipping container ship or whatever plugging up the entire works, um, the uncertainty would be not knowing when the goods are going to be start start flowing again. And that shortage of goods equates to a shortage of supply, which equates to a change in prices. So simple things like coffee beans, or if you live in Italy, that wheat, <laughs> um, oil obviously is a major transporter through the Suez Canal um, with the oil producing nations of the Indian Ocean. And considering there are what, two and a half billion people on the continent of Africa and the country of India combined. Uh, and the Suez Canal flows right in between those two. That sort of says a lot about where the markets are going to move um, based on external factors. So I, think there I, was... I don't want to get into the nitty gritty of economics in this episode, but just to start us off with um, talking about how uncertainty affects people's behaviors. And in economic terms, that will be buying habits, but in other instances that we'll cover later on in the show, um, it, it'll, it'll translate pretty directly one-to-one with things like mental health disorders and anxiety or um, national security or uh, things like that. So th- to start us off, uh, I think it's important to point out that nothing can be known for, not nothing, not everything can be known for sure, for certain. Um, this to say right down to a quantum mechanical level, uh, physics is fundamentally built on uncertainty. The Heisenberg uncertainty principle describes it and proves it uh, with the spin of electrons and uh, the position and velocity rather, not the spin, the uh, position and velocity of uh, electrons in that they, you can find a particular point in space where an electron has existed uh, after measurement. But that measurement itself is triggering the collapse of a probability function that describes where that electron could be hypothetically until it's, you know, collapsed the uh, the wave. So, given that everything right down to the the grassroots of nature is uncertain by definition of physics and natural laws, um, it is literally physically impossible to know everything or to have certainty about the world. So living with uncertainty is, is, um, sorry. Well, we live with this every day, um, with the scientific uncertainty of the most mundane thing ever, the weather and meteorologists are, I I feel like they're at chagrined. If you brought up like, how come you guys don't know when it's going to rain? It's like, do you know how complex, the weather is like we this is our best scientific guess and we're dealing with uncertainty with the weather Um, it's better than not knowing at all that's right point so it turns it from a 
uh, unknown unknown to a known unknown <laughs> rather than and then but we're hoping we would like a known known but it's the weather yeah exactly <laughs> so and, uh, and like and likewise we don't break down just because it starts raining one day but that we weren't expecting it right there are certain things we're completely comfortable with being uncertain but if you live in a country where there's a monsoon that you rely on every year that uncertainty becomes very very real in your life and and in your culture from like generations and generations of that same uncertainty you, you could imagine that um uh, wet pa weather patterns changing um, not just affected societies, but actually governed and dictated their progression. Like the way they've evolved was usually based on, ge on geographic and ecological factors that are unfathomable or incalculable in most cases. Not that the calculation can't exist, but the compute power can't be processed. <laughs> It's just that's why weather's so complicated. And we can get better at guessing, but making predictions is not the same thing as certainty, even when those predictions are right. We're still living with uncertainty um, every day. But it, I, th I think the subject of today's discussion is sort of just um, differentiating between certainties that or uncertainties that cause harm and uncertainties that we manage and just deal with. And I think that's sort of the crux of what we're getting at today. How I learned to give up and love the unknown. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> the strange love of. Yeah. Um, so. Where do we want to take this? Um, oh, well, we started off with um, economic uncertainty and I gave a couple examples of price instability, but you could also right. talk about like investment instruments and, you know, the types of sectors that people invest in and government policies that change banking legislation and um, the way the courts function, uh, interpretations of law. Uh, like it, it goes all the way down the stack right through to universities and what they teach accountants and lawyers and what they teach teachers to teach the the university students and and so on. So that, that the knockdown effect of uncertainty is basically a field of study that we just ignore while we're in fields of study. And mm -hmm. I think it uh, it's important that we take a, a minute aside and point out the uh, the lasting and, and impactful significant effects of uncertainty in our day to day lives um, from a macro to the micro level, because as we're doing in this episode, because it, it helps us guide our, ourselves forward. It helps us think better. It helps us manage our lives and plan better. It, it helps us make better decisions. And um, most fundamentally, it helps with our security because a huge problem of uncertainty comes down to people's generalized feeling of insecurity. And I think yeah. that alone causes a tremendous amount of harm worldwide. And um, that's sort of my focus where I'd like to take it today. Yeah. So maybe I could propose a case study and we could pick it apart from there. Um, we discover a new uh, resource that can create power and it's, it's easy to dig up. It's actually quite clean, blah, 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 blah. It's, it's, it's not a bad thing. Like but, thorium? Yeah. Thorium. Thorium is a good hypothetical uh <laughs> thing that uh we could um hypothetically uh create very clean reactors out of now all of a sudden it gets actual market marketing and you know people start learning about this 
Now, generally, I'm not going to be too uncertain about this because it doesn't really affect me, but because, you know, the prospect of a cheaper power bill sounds pretty cool. Um, but if you are working in, say, you know, a coal plant, for example, um, you might have a much different reaction. Now, you, your life consists of going to work, doing, you know, putting in your hard hours and coming home, supporting your family. It's a, it's a, almost a beautifully simple life. Uh, but any, but it relies on a status quo. And when that status quo is threatened in any way, anxiety begins. And this is that uncertainty. And when it, when it becomes more real, the uncertainty becomes more real and the anxiety increases. And so you begin to see anything that threatens that status quo as uh, a threat. Now, this becomes more abstract the longer it happens. So uh, instead of, um, instead of you keep, so instead of like, oh, I'm worried about the market, you become, I hate thorium <laughs> uh, or I hate anyone that brings it up or has a positive opinion about it. And then you hate, go even more abstract up a layer of scope and all of a sudden you hate, uh, you know, you, you don't like a party or something that, that, that proposes it. And then it becomes, uh, when you get enough people doing this on either side, I'm not just saying it's just the coal people because, or the oil people here in Alberta, because both sides do this. Uh, and by both sides, I mean those inane uh, definitions that we seem to be putting everyone in politically, um, that the uncertainty becomes a real manifestation of political and economic uh, power, um, not in the Foucauldian sense, but as in um, the exercise of politics. Um, so you get, it becomes an issue not of creating more power in the electrical sense, energy. Um, it becomes an issue of uh, political power. Yeah, political maneuvering and power. So the uncertainty of a relatively small group of people and uh, the people associated with it because um, this family who relies on the, the coal job is also supporting the local grocery store. They're also supporting um, local small businesses. Uh, you know, the guy he banks with in the States, most a lot of the banks are uh, local. Um, not like up here in Canada where you get like countrywide banks. A lot of times there's small branches down there. Um, but you also, you also have like, you know, the sporting goods store where he buys his, uh, you know, baseball equipment or whatever. And they're worried about this guy's job too, because they, he's a good customer. He, he spends their, his money there. So the uncertainty spreads what's going to happen in this community because they've seen this happen before with, you know, Cleveland and Detroit with the auto industry, uh, changing in the, um, in the eighties uh, and nineties and, you know, collapsing when, uh, it, what do you call it? Manufacturing was moved elsewhere. And it's those cities are hellscapes now. Um, some but, of them are even bankrupt. Yeah. Um, 
Detroit. Yeah, Detroit is famous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't even have to get into that. So it becomes this thing that has no relation to the actual, uh, the actual thing, and the uncertainty about it drives a a a, a process that is completely and utterly separate from the economics and the science of thorium, where you know someone could just build a reactor and start pumping out power and new sectors would be had we need to find and refine thorium we need to build all the little new gadgets that that kind of reactor would need there's one of the things of innovation is it usually creates more jobs than it um than it uh kills and i'm not saying well you should learn to code but there's there's gonna be comparable things that need to be done um now the interim period is painful I can definitely attest to that, having been laid off. Um, but part of what uh, now this is kind of an accusation. Uh, part of what Amer made America strong was the fact that oh man, life sucks right now. I'm going to try and make it not suck by you know putting some work in because you're a free individual and you can do that. So and let's not be real, like. A coal miner's transferable skills are pretty much equivalent to any labor job. Mm -hmm. Anything you learn as a coal miner, e even if you're the one burrow, um, burrowing, burrowing, heavy machinist, uh, like it's yeah. The it's, engineer can go into like retaining walls and landscaping, and the people who are hauling rock and sorting things out through through jacks and pallets and stuff could all be working at warehouses and. You know what I mean? Like the machinery that and the equipment used is all mechanics. Heavy duty mechanics can can go work on train yards or so most of the skills are transferable. But even if they weren't, as you say, even if they weren't, that's an opportunity to be better. Yeah. Whereas before it's an opportunity only to regress. There's no yes. way of getting any better from doing the same thing at a dead end. So in uncertainty, this new reactor which would have created new like new jobs while the coal plant is probably still going to be open for a while and is still going to is going to create new jobs and new industries is now going to have to wait and it's put in a zero sum situation where either you're with the thorium reactors or you're with the coal guys when we need power just build one and let one phase one out slowly that way you know we have double the jobs for a while and you know the new industries have time to give up but now we have a longer interim period and it creates more uncertainty because that will ripple out through the entire economic uh, cosmos of the economic sphere. Uh, mm -hmm. And when which, you don't have a mechanism already established, like a, a plant, a power plant already built that you can turn a switch on and off on, like mm -hmm. po nuclear power, one of the greatest parts to it is that you can turn it on and off like basically with a switch. I mean, yeah. not literally that fast, but it's not like wind where it's intermittent. Yeah, and if we build them better, it'll be a lot simpler than Chernobyl. Yeah, the, the, well, <laughs> Chernobyl wouldn't have happened if, if it was built in Canada or the States even back then. And especially now that we've had Chern Chernobyls and Fukushima's, like there's no reason to build one that that's susceptible to that type of cat catastrophe. Right. But like to have the plant there reduces certainty, even if you're not using it. And building the plant reduces people's personal certain uncertainty because they're they're establishing themselves in high tech, high high um, intelligence jobs. Mm -hmm. I, I don't want to 
I'm not at all trying to denigrate people who do manual labor for a living. I've done it too. But what I'm saying is in an economy that's um, founded on um, education, knowledge and experience and technology and, you know, the, the, the useful application for productive labor is going to be through people's mental capacities moving forward. Right. It's just a given. Well, and if you have kids farming by hand years ago, because nobody should be doing that. Right. Cause farming, well, people moved into manufacturing because even though those jobs sucked, uh, they were still better than working on a farm in, uh, the early modern period. And then, um, everyone's like, Oh, the manufacturing suck. Well, honestly, more people are now alive because of those manufacturing. So it's actually creating, uh, it's allowing for more suffering just by the sheer fact that it's allowing more people to exist, yeah. <laughs> which is a strange. Build, now we want to build robots that do the manufacturing jobs and we want to build power plants that clean up the manufacturing process. So right. it's like a natural progression to an intellectual society to deviate away from manual labor because we're not built like cranes. We're, we're built with squishy, fleshy, you know, biological... Yeah. <laughs> Circuits. Well, hanging over a rice field is, or a sugarcane uh, field is, is not good for your back. Yeah, um, it's back breaking. <laughs> yes, and but then that's the other thing. It's like you're worried about the uncertainty of your family. Well, wouldn't you want to? Okay, so I'm working this this labor job, but I have you know a son and a daughter, and there's no reason they need to work in such a bad job. So you can work towards the uncertain future of like a positive uncertain future <laughs> and mm. hope that well they were all dealing with hope but this economic uncertainty i think also leads us and i think I, I got into this it leads us to act very rashly in the system so what we do when i was talking about those abstraction you know you're abstracting your problems into uh, ideology or uh, politics you end up if if you don't see the whole picture, you don't see a very good picture. You're not used to um, abstract uh, uh, thought. You're going to see the problem in. You're not going to get a good sense of the problem, especially if you you know you're not used to doing proper research. And I'm not denigrating this. It takes practice, but. Um, you get you see a lot of this in the states where people are going and saying, "Oh well, you know, it's the it's the these interests or that interest or the Jews or something stupid like that." Um, who are doing this? And there's um, right now, I think some of the conspiracy theories are around. Don't get a vaccine because it's just Bill Gates trying to thin out the population, a la some nefarious uh, group of Rome type stuff. Mm. um for and hebrew those who, space lasers yeah that was funny um, mm. rome for those who don't know was a group of people uh a group of intellectuals who got together and saying mm, malthus was the greatest thing to happen in the world since ever we need to figure out how to depopulate the world in a in a logical manner and if you take that into its evil place like i can see that it's, it's coming from a place of um kind of cynical hatred for humanity but also hope that the world will stop reading so much. Um, but it doesn't really make sense because uh, every time we get a population boom in the last like 200 years, we've figured out some new type of fertilizer, or, uh, figured out how to 
adjust crops to be more bountiful and figured out how to use less um use less uh fertilizer we've been able to increase our yields to you know 120 to 1 which is yeah and further to that point a lot of that progress and productivity came from minimizing the damages we caused from old technologies so Mm -hmm. like having a cleaner process that doesn't pollute and damage your soils or like pesticides that don't kill absolutely everything in the dirt, like the microbes and stuff that you need to grow strong, healthy plants Mm -hmm. or like wiping out entire species because we want to clear out the rainforest, you know, there are aftershocks of ecology. That's like what an ecology is. It's an interconnected system of complex organisms actively working in complex ways to everyone's best interest. That's how nature works. And that's fundamentally how human beings have progressed as far as we have is because of our collective efforts in in finding unifying goals. And those unifying goals should be not um, knee-jerk responses to fears or uncertainty or insecurity. Those responses should be based on what's actually best, what is the best approach. Right. And that takes thought to figure out because it's not obvious to everybody what we need to be doing. Oh, we need to be getting rid of our society because it's causing pollution. Like if there's been more reforestation in Europe and China in the last like hundred years than, uh, and ever before we, we, so the problem isn't, um, that we just cut down trees because ah ha ha the environment like there's no nefarious mustache twirling uh capitalist uh sitting there being like how can i make people more uh more miserable how can i uh, uh, how can i squeeze more from the poor people it's, it, no, that's not quite right and it's a it's a conspiracy theory and like there's conspiracy theories on the right too like we were talking about and that is a knee-jerk reaction. So when you sit down to think about, okay, what are the actual problems? Well, we need more energy, and we need to, and we need that energy to not destroy ecosystems. Uh, hydroelectric power sounds good, yeah, but it kills a lot of fish, mm, and so displaces people and floods land and all kinds of things. But then at the same time, you have economic uh, issues, economic problems, like. My family might get laid off. Well, not my family. This is hypothetical. Um, I'm self-employed, but um, the um, so you're worried, and it creates. How do I not have that happen? Well, I need to do this and do that. I need to, you know, rally behind a cause, and and that, and it feels good. So you 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 start marching on this or that, and it feels great. It feels like you're getting something done. Like in our activism. Uh, episode we talked about this, but you need to start from a principle and a aim that actually isn't from a place of uh, uncertainty. So, and this is going to sound so cliche, but you you you're uncertain. You have a fear, and uncertainty causes fear. You have an actual problem, and if you act from that fear, you will you can easily find something you know, a demon or some kind of cause to, you know, rile against. So you, you move on to anger and this is that famous Yoda quote, you know, fear leads to anger, anger leads to the dark side. And you, this is not, you know, science fiction, you know, pseudo philosophy. This is actually a legit 
process that happens in our heads and it's not and it's definitely evolutionarily um uh put in there because you know you have uh you're sitting around with your group and all of a sudden you start seeing weird animal movements uh and there's less game and you have uncertainty about your group what do you do well there might be another tribe nearby so you send out scouting parties and you encounter another tribe and then what do you do with that tribe well you you know, you assume that they're not going to be that bad for you. You negotiate with them and you come to an agreement where no, you kill them. <laughs> you murder the shit out of them. <laughs> and that's what we would do in the um, Paleolithic period uh, because that kept our tribe alive. Um, but we are beyond that, way, 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 way beyond that. Um, and we have to move beyond that type of behavior um by putting our heads together or maybe having a little hope or just and this is probably going to be the, a lot of the theme on my side of this is just living with the uncertainty and keep working uh although keep apprised um so living with uncertainty is kind of a skill in itself will i what's going to happen next am i going to be able to what's the job market going to be at the end of my degree well, you'll find out. <laughs> so yeah. that's... Yeah, I think you touched on a couple really important factors there. Um, one of them being fear and fear like lends to all kinds of missteps, we'll put it, from either economic sanctions to nationalism to racism and immigration policy and all that kind of nasty nastiness. Mm -hmm. But it also leads to knee-jerk reactions over knee-jerk reactions over knee-jerk reactions. If we never stop to think about things cogently, we're always going to be end up winding up falling into a pit where we're taking two steps behind to take two steps behind to take two steps behind. And we never take three steps forward because mm -hmm. of it. And a good example of this is like you had mentioned China's reforestation uh, along with Europe. And, and yeah, one of the funny that... things about China's reforestation is like, they had the idea that planting a bunch of trees across a desert line was going to stop a desert from progressing. And what it did was they planted all of the same tree first, first of all. So it's like highly susceptible to like one infestation, one, one natural problem that affects one species of plant. It wipes out your whole tree line <laughs> because yeah. the, by definition, they planted them all along the road. So like that, that's step number one. The yeah. Second, China doesn't really think things through. The European one that I was mentioning was um, historically, I remember uh, there was a medieval uh, history class I took in one of my first classes. Uh, I think one of our watchers was also in the class with me. Okay. Um, well, our, our professor noted that there was this giant, um, taiga, so this um, Canadian shield-like uh, forest cross, like going from Spain all the way through to the tip of Russia and like all the way through Russia. And there was just one giant forest there, which was once the feudal period started uh, and feudalism and the Roman Empire, all that stuff, these ancient empires just relied on wood as a resource to crazy degree uh sweden was deforested for viking ships and in these old societies who relied on wood for fuel in heat and in building materials deforested it um when i was in italy what was strange was i found that this country was 
actually quite lush. And we were on a historical tour. And a lot of the pictures from World War II uh, were showed the terrain. So we were able to see the terrain as it was, you know, in front of us. And we were able to look at the same terrain as it was in World War II. And we were like, well, why did the Canadians have such a hard time uh, attacking this hill? There's so much thing. We look at the picture and the entire country was deforested for the war effort. And over the last 75 years, they had, they, they had moved away from uh, a wood economy and it had allowed things to just slowly grow back and encroach. And this is a process that's still going on because we've moved away from it. And in describing this, I've completely forgotten what the point of this story was. <laughs> <laughs> what were you talking about? I was I talking about it was really interesting. We're, um, <laughs> we, we have a tendency to create another problem and we don't yes. as a solution to a, a current problem we haven't thought through. Yeah. So we, the, and that's kind of the whole, like the Bentham logic again, where if they're poor, just give them money. Yeah. Solved. Yeah. <laughs> well, if we have deforestation, let's just plant trees. <gasps> We've solved deforestation. Ding, 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 ding. And like any geologist is going to, or biologist is going to be like, it's a lot more complicated than that. And yeah, they it's send not them off the to same Google. thing as natural growth. <laughs> like a wetland right. isn't water poured on your front lawn. It's like, it's a wetland. It's got its own biosphere. It's got its own flora and cycles and rhythms. Mm -hmm. And you know what I mean? Like building is a slow process. And right. Change is a slow process. And to, I think a lot of people want a remedy for their uncertainty. And that uncertainty, the you know, that unknown, oh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Oh, the, and we see this with the environmental movement is uh, especially where they have this uncertainty about the future and they try and put labels on it. Uh, we're going to be, the, the world's going to be a frozen ball of ice and by 2012, or the world's going to be a, you know, burning hellscape in 12 years if you don't vote for me. And everyone's like, oh my, I'm, that's, that's what's, but the thing is, is that you have, people playing off of this uncertainty and that's what that is you say oh there's uncertainty here that can get me elected and then fear 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 mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and there's a lot a, of people doing it comes this. a weapon though and that's a lot of what we talk about too on this channel is people weaponizing information for personal or political gain for power yeah. gain or for uh but I, I i think the problem isn't with uncertainty itself even though that's what we're attributing mm -hmm. a lot of it to it comes down with our our the absence of a process for thinking about things from which we are uncertain right so it's not the fact that we can't figure out a better way to reforest the planet or um or to harvest wood the the problem is we're oversimplifying our problems because we want the easiest solution yeah, Not and we, because it's most economical, which economics would suggest we're doing. Right, we're we actually looking for panaceas. the easiest solution just out of laziness. Like, if we did this, the economy would be great. If we only did this, and I think we might like, and that's why whenever we propose, you know, beneficial measures, we never offer them as a panacea. This will help this one thing be slightly better in the long term. It's like, yeah. <laughs> ooh, that sounds not too attractive, but if we if we cut all carbon emissions uh, by 2022, uh, which is, I think they said that in 2018 and that's next year, then, you know, by 2030, we won't all be dead. It's like, but like there, there's good reason to to want to have um, immediate measures. Like we're also not saying that you know we shouldn't do carbon taxes or we shouldn't have carbon 
collection. Um, what do you call that? Uh, carbon capture. Carbon reporting. Oh, carbon reporting. Yeah. Yeah. From from polluters. Oh no, we need that because carbon that's credits. Data. That, yeah, exactly. So not but, knowing, un, unlike what former president said, not knowing doesn't make things go away. Not knowing what the numbers actually are does not make them not there. Yeah. But well, where is in where, Manitoba where it's like there's a flood? What do we do? Oh well, we should long term help the make sure that the flood never hurts anybody. It's like no, we need to get out there and sandbag like. <laughs> too sweet because it's coming and we you know in the 97 flood what we did was both they built that big dike uh beneath the city they built they expanded the um the floodway but then everyone in the city also got out and protected people's homes which were in immediate danger and mm -hmm. this is a good example i know someone's gonna have a critique of something well actually i hated that mayor or that you know premier and they were terrible and it could have been done but everything could have been done better goof so it, it it's and the farmers definitely have actual umbrage against that but it was a long-term and a short-term measures all at once and it it definitely helped winnipeg in the long run um and a but, really like apropos current events sort of getting to the climate initiatives and whatnot um the Paris Climate Accord is a good example of this, where we really wanted to do something to give people some type of commitments for them to make um, government social policies in their own countries, because this is an international agreement. So each country, each diplomat would then go back to their own country and relay the agreement terms that they had all negotiated together and agreed upon. And th the point of it was to um, to inspire some sort of impetus to do it immediately, to have some action to work towards a common goal. Perfectly valiant, nothing wrong with that. But where we tend to trip up, and I mean we as in human beings, because we're not capable of knowing everything because of uncertainty, we end up with programs that, um, that for instance, the goal then is to achieve the, the Paris Climate Agreement um, terms, right? Mm -hmm. So they find a loophole in the terms so that they can be successful without being successful. And that's where the problem is. When you start burning wood instead of coal, even though wood is less energy dense and causes more pollution. Less efficient. Around, around, uh, yeah, because it's, because it's less efficient, it causes more pollution. But to determine that an imported wood from another country doesn't count as carbon pollution because it is carbon. Yeah, Japan And then does burning that. wood instead of using oil, well, which is more energy dense and easier to clean, uh, keep clean through carbon capture, you're creating more pollution to satisfy an accord that is supposed to not cause pollution. It's supposed to diminish <laughs> pollution. Japan did that with their forests. They, they say, we're not allowed to cut down any trees or something in, or only a certain amount or and only in like, forest or tree farms where they grow specific you know fancy woods but then they just import everything from indonesia yeah <laughs> it's like uh, oh, deforesting another part of the planet and the whole so point of it was yeah we're not supposed to be destroying the planet you're supposed to all go back to your own countries to help all of us avoid that mm -hmm. so i think um the way we approach our problems requires to competently manage our problems it requires that we deal with uncertainty in rational terms. And I don't think we're doing that insofar as when we approach problems, we compartmentalize or make um, committees or subcommittees. And or we, we, we try and specialize our solutions to a world that is not built like that or like a nature get, that's not built like that. You get someone like 
Um, I guess my my biggest pet peeve would be AOC at the gate being like, look at what's happening here. And then she's just at the gate crying and everything's politically set. But then, you know, the guards sitting there like there's no one on the other side of this gate. She's crying in front of an empty field. And so they're, they're, they're fanning uncertainty. What's going to happen if we don't do this? And then they play on emotion. Emotion ramps up that, you know, I don't want to be like, you know, we need to think like Spock, but it ramps up that, um, that, uh, non, uh, that, that, that illogical engine inside of us and gets us to act irrationally. It's like, oh my, there's a woman crying. We need to do this. And then we need to act now. This is how terrible these people are, blah, 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 blah. But then the Democrats get in and the same thing's happening. It's just bad. Yeah, it's like- and that's sort of what itches my crotch about it is because it's always somebody else's idea that people are hanging their hats on. It's never yeah. that they they actually believe that thing. They just want to believe it. And somebody who's an authority figure or reputable told them they can believe it. It's okay to believe that this simple solution is the answer to our problem, Yeah, at least for now, when it's not. It's like financial bailouts without fixing a broken financial system is absolutely absurd. It's insane to think that a crisis went away just because the numbers stopped. Actually, that sounds really interesting. I'd like to let's let's move into that because that type of uncertainty is really interesting because I um, the bailouts were a bad idea, in my opinion. But you probably know more about that than I do, because that was a knee jerk reaction uh, on at the top from the top. Um, and everyone at the bottom is just like, oh, let the rich people, like, let, let them, let their business die. Like that's the whole point of capitalism is to have these people who are dealing with daily uncertainty and at risk deal with the failure and they know what they're getting into working in the financial sector. Uh, that's the nature of their business and they can find another job. They've worked for this giant company. Of course they can find it. No, we need a bailout because what about all the people at the bottom? And so the government knee jerks bails them out and that was a poor use of the money. Um, I'm sure you can add more onto that. (laughs) (laughs) The way they went about it was wrong. It's not that the bailouts themselves were wrong, which I I believe they were, but that's an opinion, but I can say scientifically that it would not have been hard to simply state any any company who receives a bailout cannot pay or cannot buy back their own shares. They cannot pay bonuses to CEOs. Yes. Every employee must get a raise. Those are things they could have easily wrote within one sentence. And it doesn't have to say what the raise is. Some people would be jerks and just give people a two cent raise. But some effort, some type of preambulatory agreement that states how the money should be used without getting into the minutiae of details and like micromanaging how companies spend their money is necessary. Absolutely necessary. And they thought it wasn't because people were watching. They said, if we give banks these bailouts, what kind of idiot would pay themselves a bonus, buy back their own shares and take share options that the company pays for? You know what I mean? But they all did it. All of them. Not, Not just some of them, but they all did it. And they caused the crisis. Like, that's literally rewarding somebody for committing a crime. That's having somebody murder and then not only not prosecuting and putting them to jail, giving them a gift for doing it. 
And the gift it's is the another gun. It's the opposite of what it was supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you used what, up the bullets on killing this guy. Oh, here's some extra ones. <laughs> you know, where the bail, bailouts were necessary, though, it should have been put into receivership. And the problem is you have companies that have infrastructure that people and civilized societies rely on. Um, so a port, for instance, when a port goes bankrupt, you need people who are knowledgeable in how to operate a port. It's not simple. It's very complicated managing that many containers and ships and freight and, and trucks coming in and Employees, out. Employees, Not security. blowing things up like Beirut. <laughs> yeah. So like there's a lot of complications to the things that we rely most on, and that's the problem. So like water sanitation, utilities, power, electric, hydro, everything, um, roads, uh, a lot of people think that they're, you know, oh, well, the city pays for roads, so that's not private. Well, it's companies, private construction companies who get those city contracts. Right, so and they when, need to be paid. And then Winnipeg runs out of money after two weeks every winter. Yeah. So in, in a hypothetical scenario, if all construction companies in the entire city went bankrupt, that means nobody has the equipment needed to, like the heavy machinery, the expensive equipment, to order a load of gravel and pack it down with a packer and spread it out with a bobcat and then lay asphalt on top and then press it and heat it. Or so not having the infrastructure to actually use the systems we already have is the reason we needed a bailout is just to keep the infrastructure from collapsing. Cause once that collapses everything else beside it, and that was the mentality to it. Mm -hmm. But what they did wrong was <laughs> first of all, they came up with numbers out of nowhere. They didn't care who got it and they didn't check on who spent it and they didn't criminalize bad behavior. So the uncertainty led to just give them money. Yeah, the uncertainty was the knee-jerk reaction. We have to do a bailout. That should have been known within the first day of the financial crisis. That's why we have experts working yeah, in these places. Yeah, that's what I mean. And you the have to listen to them. Yeah, like so the advisors. Our infrastructure is worth securing, so we need a bailout of some kind. We don't know how much yet or who gets it or blah, 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 all those details. But they absolutely needed one just so that people could use money that was in the banks to buy food. Right. Otherwise the bank wouldn't work and then you couldn't buy food if you didn't already have cash in hand. And this leads to micro uncertainty that we were like macro being at the top, but this leads yeah. to like all of a sudden you were laying the uncertainty and the, and, and the consequences of uh, what happened um, um, in that incident. But then uh, we've seen over the last, has it been 12 years, 13 years now? Um, and that, I count from 07, so 14. Um, yeah. So I remember I lost my job because uh, the economy uh, decided to, well, I was in Winnipeg working at a paint store at the time, and they laid me off at the uh, the height of it when it hit um, Canada, uh, that economic slump, the recession, which is the big nasty word. I don't even think YouTube will let us use that word. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> but um, the... I lost my job and I'm going like, well, what do I do now? I guess so. I went out, got my, um, did what the only logical thing seemed to do and was to um, start a YouTube channel and start get some signs and start protesting at legislature. No, I got my re my resume together and mm. I started, you know, pounding the ground, getting, uh, uh, getting those resumes out there. Um, but I couldn't find anything. And then, you know, the place called me back after a month and a half going, oh, we're busy. <laughs> we need you. It's like, can you afford me? And they're like, doesn't matter. Come over. And yeah. so that worked out for me. Uh, but for a month of uncertainty, I was just sitting there going. And I was getting more, well, I was going just sitting there. 
um, trying to figure out, okay, where, where can I apply next? What can I do? Should I go back to school? All this uncertainty. And I'm trying to think this through. Now, I had a halfway decent head on my shoulders, so I probably might have come up with something, but I wasn't like going to do what I do now. And it's just like, oh, I've got skills. I can start a... I can start a business and work my way up and blah, 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 blah. The point but, is you did something with a holistic view of the world around you, right? When when the macro system started failing, you said, what can I do to put myself in the best possible position after we fix this bigger problem? Mm-hmm. But the, the, the hazard is like the moral hazard is what they is. Um, when, when I get desperate or when well, I get start getting like, like my money was, I had a, I had enough for one more month of rent saved up because I was living frugally and, um, that gave me some time, but I was going to start getting desperate soon. Um, but could you imagine though, if your solution was the first thing that came to mind rather than going to school while learning how to do flooring and while also pursuing romantic relationships, you know what I mean? Like you were able to say, okay, I'm dealing with this, so I'm going to put it aside now. I'm doing the most I can for that. Now I'm going to deal with this problem as well. And then mm-hmm. you figure out the holistic view of this problem and you make a plan for it and you stick to the plan. You put it aside and you start focusing on another problem, right? The issue is when we have a system where you do a knee-jerk reaction to it, like when the government on a macro scale has a knee-jerk reaction to a bailout, that affects you personally as a taxpayer. Maybe Mm -hmm. not immediately, but it affects you down the line. And what humans are really, really bad at is um, like the function of time problem, time decay, or like the the loss or increase in value over time, like compound interest is hard for our brains to actually process. That's where we have problems because when we make decisions based on a bad reaction from the government in our personal lives, it actually then compounds the problem of the government. You become a less contributing taxpayer by not having a job. Yeah, I'm not in. Well, was it? I can't remember who said this, but I'm not taking part in the economy at that point. I'm just kind of, well, I'm paying a like I pay rent right. and buying some food, but like that's only going to last a month. But if I'm living like if I I had been saving, and so I had a bit of a cushion. Now, if I have kids and uh, and we have no savings and um i get you know me and my wife gets laid off then um we have nothing to fall back on there's no family in nearby that i can you know rely on or something you become very desperate very quick mm-hmm. and that and and almost not unreasonably you start looking for um something uh, like you're going to put your resume out there, but you're going to take chances that you might not have taken two weeks ago. You're going to start doing things. You're going to start thinking things. And the chances of you acting out of fear increase to about a hundred percent. And I <laughs> and can that's say when you get desperate. That's, that's when desperate. you get desperate and you start doing uh, strange things. And I can say this because I can definitely see myself. And I do remember uh, being a bit of a fire breather um, acting out of desperation. Cause when I was working uh, I remember working at like Starbucks and I wasn't getting paid very much and the, the job was terrible and I wasn't eating very much. I was eating maybe two, like to save up, I was eating two meals a day and I was still exercising and I, I was using a lot more calories uh, than I was in, taking in. 
I was also going to school. So I'm just sitting there, this miserable, dumb, uh, overworked uh, pile of anger. And all of a sudden, Occupy comes on and I'm just like, Mrah! and <laughs> like 100% knee-jerk reaction. I, I had the inclination towards, well, we, can, we need to talk about, um, um, what do you call it? We need to talk about economic stuff. And I was leaning towards... Um, uh, leftist ideology because, you know, you know, I'm a worker, I, I, worker rights seem like a good thing. I had been, they had brushed Marxism up against me in school without actually, you know, forcing me to read it. So <laughs> it seemed like a, yeah. Um, and then, uh, that's safe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's safe. Uh, and then they, um, and so, you know, you go to Occupy Wall Street and you're, everyone's like, everything's terrible, blah, 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 blah. Luckily, everyone there was a bunch of morons. So it kind of disillusioned me with that kind of thought process. I met the leader of the um, uh, Manitoba Communist Party and I was just not impressed. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, wow, this is um, not a man of action. Um yeah. And I, uh, you know, people were not telling me not to clap because it's um, bad. So we should be doing this um, instead of, you know, a sentence. Like, and those are all forms of control, right? They're trying yeah. to manipulate people based on their emotional states as opposed to fix problems that we all recognize are problems existing. So, like, in the Western world today, there, there's not a lack of wealth. The problem is that there is a concentration of wealth, right? And distinguishing those one from the other is really crucial because on the one hand, you have people opposing income distribution because they think that money is going to be stolen from them. And that's never been proposed. Uh, mm. Well, I mean, somebody's probably proposed it, but that's not the, the, the competent uh, approach. Just give them money. Stealing money from rich people doesn't fix a problem of people accumulating wealth. And what happens if you accidentally become rich? Like we kill all rich people and all of a sudden you win the lottery and you're rich. It's like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> like people there. But that's what people get their backs up against. But what, what's really funny to me is that somehow the super wealthy people um, in the States specifically, I'm speaking, uh, have lobbied enough support from people who will never see that kind of wealth in their lives, no matter what. They just yeah. will never see tens of billions of dollars like in equivalent spending power terms because there isn't that much in circulation around the world. So you've got like groups of the 30% top income earners thinking that the world is trying to steal all their money when literally only 1% of those 30% are going to be taxed fairly well and where do they That's even learn this this the, the the hypocritical part of all of this is that where do they learn this they learn this on a global information network where the sum total of human knowledge is at their fingertips so they have access to in indoor heating plumbing uh air conditioning all this stuff where um which would co have costed like been only available to maybe the king or an emperor um, yeah. before. And now the poorest people can go talk to people on the other side of the planet instantly. Uh, you can go to the library and like we have these giant libraries all over all of our cities. And if that's not some, and that's an outdated technological medium. And Dude, grocery stores, right? Like, peasants can walk into a store without being harassed or molested or robbed. 
They can choose what they want off the shelf with a label telling you what's in it. So you know exactly what nutrition, what nutritional value, what the price is like procurement of food used to be an issue for everybody for millennia. Yeah. That used to be hard. We've solved that problem and we still don't have the, the gumption to go online and look something up to see if it's true, even though it's in our pocket and we're already paying for the plan. It's, it's too much work to pull out your phone and check. Yeah. <laughs> and that, and... that, um, that laziness is what inspires our creativity. And it's also like what makes us such powerful creatures able to build machines and study and remember things and abstract concepts. It's all just path of least resistance. We're trying to make the easiest life for ourselves. So laziness isn't fundamentally a bad thing. It's yeah. the exaggerated application, the exaggerated, well, the exaggerated application of laziness in, in conjunction with restlessness. Cause if you're being like, if you're sitting there going like, oh, I'm bored. Oh, this sucks. Uh, blah, 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 blah. You're going to be like, I wonder if I could make this better if I did that. And so you start to think about what you can do. But if you're afraid um, of the consequences, you're afraid, oh, if I make this, what could happen? Oh, I better not. And that's or a fear that. of not acting soon enough. Like sometimes yeah. that fear could make you think that you don't have time to think. Right. Well, I, I definitely feel that when like, is my thesis, is it too late or I, I should get it done quicker. It's, it'll be done when it's done and mm -hmm. you should be doing your research and making out and making it up to date in, in conjunction with what's happening. Well, even this podcast, it's like, Oh, well, if, if we don't get this podcast out, we're going to start saying stuff that is out of date. It's like, we're just talking or, <laughs> um, like I get an idea. I want to start a business and it's like, Oh, is the market like, is the market already flooded? If I don't get in now others, and this is that uncertainty, it drives me. <clears throat> but at the same time, I still have to be careful. I can't just be like, mm, blah, there it is. I have to still be deliberate. And, but at the same time, the uncertainty can also force me to not act at all. Um, which is, I think what happens with a lot of individuals uh, in our society they're scared of failure when failure is probably the most useful thing they could get. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, Oh, success is great, but failure, you know, and success in. isn't guaranteed because of uncertainty. You could right. have the best idea, execute it the best and the strongest work ethic, and it could still fail just by bad luck. Bad luck is a thing. Like it, it's possible that just probabilistically, even if a 98% chance of your success, you're succeeding, doesn't happen that's because there's two percent chance that it doesn't happen that means twice out of every hundred it won't happen even mm -hmm. no matter how well you do and how good the plan is so un uncertainty is underpinning everything we do and everything we fear as well as everything we respond to as well as the way we respond to things and identifying the uncertainty reaction versus the uncertainty mitigation uh, harm mitigation like the reduction of the negative consequences of doing nothing or of doing the wrong thing. That's, that's really important to planning. And without planning, you can't do anything intelligent. You might by accident every once in a while, but you won't repeat the intelligent behavior without mm. an awareness that that behavior is in your best interest. Yeah. I think the other side of this is, um, I don't know that, cliche you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take and gretzky by the way gretzky Canadian. thank you yeah 
Um, but yeah, a Canadian philosopher, um, <laughs> Dr. Wayne Gretzky. He's oh, probably nice. got a, <laughs> he's not a doctor. He could be. He's, he's a prophet. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So if you're watching this, not in Canada. Um, we yeah. like hockey in Canada. We like, it's, yeah. It's like Italian football. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is a, it's a cliche, but it, it, it demonstrates um, something that I'm noticing a lot in this, you know, almost post-scarcity society of ours, um, where um, you have everything you want. You don't have war knocking at your door. Um, you have all this uh, comfort and wealth inherent to your situation in the lower middle class. Um, um, and... Um, you're living beyond the dreams of a Roman emperor uh, and you are scared. So you don't let your kids go beyond the sidewalk. So you uh, organize you, sports and you won't let them drive and airplanes are dangerous and you know, you organic stay, foods. Like it, it crosses all these boundaries. You, you, you stay at the same job without uh, uncertain of it and you don't, take a risk and you don't, you, you live a riskless, um, you live a riskless life. Uh, I think one of my, well, there's that one episode of Star Trek where, uh, he realizes what happens when he lives a life without risk. And he's just this, uh, like the, the captain ends up, he sees like, Oh, look, this is what you are. If you didn't take that risk and you didn't learn that risks and failure lead to growth. And he just sees himself as this like boring lieutenant, uh, you know, working a menial job and he's just like, Oh wow. And they, they straight up tell him, it's like, yeah, we don't see you in a position of authority or command because you know, you're just not that type of guy. Be a man. And well, that's it. And so he's just <laughs> like, Oh boy. And he asks the, uh, the, 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 the godlike entity, take me back, put me in the situation. And like, he just, you know, he goes back and he gets stabbed and he starts laughing. It's like, this is the best thing that could have happened to me. He gets stabbed right through the heart. And, <laughs> and he understands that that risk of standing up for his friends in a bar fight led him to a situation where he understood that you don't, win anything by playing it safe um you don't grow as a person um because we're gonna take we're gonna we're all gonna take hits rich poor doesn't matter you're always gonna take a hit in your life uh whether or not you learn something from it is the is the real test and that i think that leads one of that leads into this but i think uh we can talk about safety for a bit that would be because i have massive feelings on this if someone says oh but it's not safe that's like a <laughs> dirty word in my head and i i don't like it oh well the students won't be safe if they come to class it's like duh <laughs> like have you well, seen what children do without covid like <laughs> <laughs> they eat dirt <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and it's... maybe we should uh we'll take a break first and then we'll transition a bit from uh from strict uncertainty on macro populist levels down to insecurity and uncertainty in mental health and yeah. personal levels. After the so break. remember, uh, if you or anyone you know is facing an uncertain future, uh, please call Frivolous Gravitas uh, 
padding and security services immediately, and we will give you a life without any uncertainty. That's 1-800-NO. No. <laughs> All right. See you guys in the part Back two. Back with uh, Jordan the Hammer Shapiro after this. Bam. Stay tuned. <laughs>